Good morning, everyone. Take your Bible and get to chapter 8 this morning, please. Chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. We'll wrap up a little bit of 7 and move into 8. Did you get outside yesterday? Wow, couldn't help but that, right? Do that. What a day. What a beautiful, beautiful day it was. Looked like we got another one today. Well, in chapter 7, we've got a, a good number of wisdom statements, even we would, some of them we just call wisdom warnings, and just in that vein this morning, maybe a little bit of a kind of a quiz, I don't know if I'd call it a quiz per se, let me pray first. Father, may uh, we love you with our minds this morning, and that you would honor our uh, time in the Word, and that our worship offered to you be an ex- would be an acceptable offering, pleasing to you. We know that you are attentive to our, our hearts and uh, our lives, and we, we, we just thank you for grace, and we thank you for the cleansing power of the blood of Christ and the work of Christ and the privilege to be part of your church, the body of Christ, how we, how we thank you for that. And so make us a blessing to one another today, conform us more in the image of your Son, and get glory from it all, we pray in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Well, what a, what a passage this is from Proverbs, right? He who trusts in his own heart is a what? Is a, is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. Now, here's the quiz. It's not a big quiz. But what words could you put in place of the word heart right there? He who trusts in his own, ah, in his own his own wisdom, yeah, what else would you put in there, perhaps? His own what? Feelings. Ah, his own feelings, yeah, yeah. He who trusts, what else? These are the key ones. Trusts even in his own mind, like his own, his own wisdom, correct? Do you know that some of the most heartbreaking words that I've ever heard um, in my time as a pastor is for people to say things like, I know what the Bible says, and then there's that next word, but I just know in my heart, and then it's something contrary to God's word. How sad. In fact, I wonder if you can be a believer and make that habitual in your life to say, I know what God says, and claim Christ, and yet um, ignore, ignore that. He who trusts in his own heart, his own mind, his own feelings um, is a fool. But he who walks wisely, and that's the other reason I wanted us, that's what we're after from the wisdom that we gain from the book of, e- of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom is essential for life. Wisdom is attainable for you and I from God's Word, called to have it. But we're also going to see in this particular chapter 8 this morning that that wisdom also is limited in terms of we on our own are not going, even with the wisdom that God helps us, there are still going to be things to which we are not going to fully comprehend. And where that ends, then our 
confidence in God and our faith in Him and trust in Him uh, makes up the difference, plus the fact that the things that we are told is everything that we need to know to be His kind of people and to know about Him as He's revealed to us in His Word. Well, there's the, there's the old saying about uh, there's the good news and then there's the bad news, right? Uh, Marshall just mentioned to me about a plumber. We had a plumber out to fix a mess in our house here not recently, and I asked him, well, can, can you fix it? And he said, yeah, that's the good news. I can fix it. <laughs> and, and then he gave me the bad news of how long it was going to take and so forth. Well, there's good news Verse 19 of chapter 7, there's good news right there, correct? Wisdom strengthens a man more than ten rulers in a city. That's great news, is it not? But the bad news is in verse 20. <laughs> Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who, conti- who continually does good and who never, never sins. Here's the rest of the, that news over in verse 29, just following up the toward the end of chapter 9. Behold, I found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. The good news, yes, God, and we can have his wisdom. The bad news is we remain sinners. The good news for Solomon was there was no one given wisdom like him except wisdom personified in our Savior. Wisdom was given to Solomon in such an incredible way. The bad news is at the end of his life, He drifted from it, didn't he? Take your Bible and turn with me, and I want us to see this in light of wrapping up chapter 7. Turn over to, I think it's 1 Kings chapter 11. Would you turn there? 1 Kings chapter 11. Good news was the wisdom that he was given and graced by God. But over there in 1 Kings 11 is that bad news, isn't it? 1 Kings 11. Now King, verse 1, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabites, Ammonites, so forth, all these women that were given to him and all of these alliances. We understand that, but we're told um, uh, down in verse hmm, verse 4, verse 4, 1 Kings 11, 4, came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Solomon went after the Asheroth and the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idols of the Ammonites. He did, did, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Down in verse 8, thus also He did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Verse 9, now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord. How sad it was. And we see some of that reality because in the book of Ecclesiastes, different times he's saying, I discovered this. And we have his own uh, admission of the reality of the times that his wisdom was not something that was, was guiding him, and he chose otherwise. And just being reminded of the fact that he was not a sinless man, are, and none of us are that, in that reality, but he was given great wisdom at the end of his life. He drifted, uh, drifted from that. Now, verse 26 
and 27 to wrap up chapter 7. I just want you to notice at the beginning of uh, those two verses, notice he says, and I discovered, and again it repeats that in verse 27, I have discovered. And what he discovered was not such a good thing. In verse 26, it's a hard statement. He said, I discovered more bitter than death uh, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains, one who is pleasing to God will, will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Wow. And that makes us think about back in the book of Proverbs in chapter 6 and chapter 7, and I really, verse 26, really I think is a summary of that, that we have the naive, foolish, lacking wisdom young man, and then we have the evil, strange, often called the King James, strange, deceptive, adulterous woman who snares, literally, sets a trap for him, and in his foolishness and being naive, he buys into that trap and experiences the terrible consequences of it. For parents of us, chapter 6 and 7 is a key part, not only the teaching uh, young men about the strange woman and being naive, but also teaching young women about the character of a, of a gal who is not God's kind, of, God's kind of woman. But I want you to notice again, too, we have that word, at least the New American Standards, as your, your Bible have that. In verse 26, he says, the woman whose heart is snared and nets. Do you see that? Well, look with me over in Proverbs chapter, I think it's the end of chapter 6. It's interesting that he uses that word again um, over there. Yes, in chapter 7 of Proverbs, chapter 7, and he who trusts in his own feelings, somebody said, is a fool. Back to this verse. It's good to come back to this verse, isn't it? Own feelings. Because certainly the naive, foolish young man is led by his feelings that gives in to the strange woman here. Uh, verse 21, chapter 7 of Proverbs. With her many persuasions, she enticed him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Is that not descriptive? Or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver and a bird hastens to the snare. Here's the word again. He's caught. He's caught. And the tragic results of it. So he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now I want to go there because I think that's what happened progressively with Solomon. And he makes that statement in verse 27, 26, back in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And I believe that also motivates the next statements that he makes here to his own shame. But the Bible has a way of cutting life as it really is, telling us what, it, what life is really like. And to his shame, he's doing that here. And it's by inspiration of the Word. Because look at verse 27 now, back in Ecclesiastes 7. Back in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes 7, Behold, I've discovered this, says the preacher, one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. 
Behold, I found only that this, that God has made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. So what is he saying? It is a unique thing for you to be God's kind of woman and men to be God's kind of man. Now, is that possible? Yes, it certainly is. And the Bible tells us in the Proverbs, there's also the woman who fears the Lord, and she shall be praised. Amen? At the end of verse 31. The Bible also speaks in Psalm 128, verse 4, about for, uh, for, for thus shall the man, didn't catch my word thus here, be blessed who fears the Lord. So the call there for us again is for us to fear God and the fear of God as um, uh, Bridges, so Wellesley well says, the fear of God leads to a devotion to God which becomes evident in a life of pleasing God and choosing Him, to choose to please Him likewise. So I think the challenge here, based upon those verses, is to all right, then gain the wisdom from God's Word, fear the Lord, choose what's right, and avoid being the naive man and avoid being the deceitful kind of woman. And I know that's the prayer of your heart. Now, chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1. Some more good news. Let's get to that. Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illuminates him and causes his stern face to beam. Now, we have this great statement here in verse 1 of chapter 8 of the glory and the beauty of wisdom. I'm going to come back to that. But then in verses 2 all the way through verse 17, he gives us the, uh, the, the um, limitations of wisdom based upon the providence of God in a fallen world. And in our fallen world, there's going to be certain situations that you're going to be in, and wisdom necessarily won't change it. It will help you to respond properly in it but it won't necessarily change it. Or there's going to be things in the world that you will experience, and you have wisdom, but you can't totally figure it out. You have everything you need to respond the right way. But there's going to be things that come under the, the uh, authority, under the reality of the providence and sovereignty of God that he's in control of and that you're not necessarily going to like. We've been there already but you're to respond in wisdom and choose to please the God of heaven. Now, what we have in verses 2 through verse 9 is a situation of, of an evil king and being under authority. Has anybody here ever been under authority that you necessarily didn't like? With a boss? Or maybe authority with reference to government? Or maybe authority in your own family and you didn't necessarily respond the right way? And yet God in his providence has put you in that place. And then in verses 10 and following, we've got this issue of what, and he's brought this up before, what seems to be apparent injustices in this world. We have the Psalm 73 idea. Why does it appear that the wicked seem to prosper? And the righteous oftentimes don't prosper or even die young. What's going on here? And then at the end of verse 15, excuse me, at verse 16 and 17, he says, no matter how much you try to figure this all out on your own, 
you're not going to understand it all because you're not God. And your response is then to come under his sovereignty, come under his providence, realizing he's got you where he wants you, and to respond the right way to that and to trust him that you'll be able to understand it one day in glory. Now, there's a lot to say about the introduction to that, but that's what's going on in the rest of this chapter. But let's come back to verse 1. Who is the wise man and who knows the interpretation or understanding of a matter? It's a beautiful word there, that word for interpretation or understanding. It's used one other place, and it's actually in what is an Hebrew, and then we also have... Um, different form. What's our other form of the text over in Daniel? What else have we got? Aramaic. It's an Aramaic form in the book of Daniel. And it's found in the chapter where there's a king having a big party, Belshazzar, and he pulls out these holy instruments that were taken in the captivity from the temple, and they're drinking out of those holy vessels and so forth, and all of a sudden, what's on the wall? Somebody just What's a, there's writing on the wall, right? And nobody can figure it out, correct? And they say, oh, we remember there's this guy named Daniel. And Daniel comes in and he interprets it, and it's not good news for the king. But the point is, that's the word that he's, Ecclesiastes is using right here. And what he's saying is that the beauty of wisdom is that you're going to understand certain things in life that other people who do not know God and have not wisdom will not be able to understand. And it's going to be a test. Well, look at the second part of the verse. A man's wisdom illuminates Another beautiful word. It just brightens up your countenance, illuminates him, and causes his stern face to beam or to brighten. In fact, that word has, conveys the idea of, like the, of the shining of the sun in a morning dawn. One writer says it this way, the idea of the word is to brighten with confidence. And that's what wisdom gives us. It gives us the ability to assess things accurately and then act accordingly, and know it, and respond to it. I was thinking about the fact when the last year or so when Deborah and I had the preteen and the teen class, and we were in studying Proverbs and wisdom, and from time to time I'd give them a quiz, and I'd ask the question, and they didn't, you know, their minds, you could see smoke coming out of their ears, and all of a sudden somebody would go, ah, I got it. And their countenance would just change with the fact, well, please let me answer, you know. They get brightened. That's the idea of the word here. That's what wisdom gives you. You can be in a situation, people having conversations, they're saying, boy, I just don't understand what's going on here. And you, based upon God's word and the wisdom that you are gaining from the word, you can see into it. You can understand what's really going on. You have discernment. To understand, we live in a fallen world and certain things are going on and the way people respond. So what a blessing it is to be able to have God's wisdom and be able to interpret what's going on in certain things, your, your own life and other people's lives, and even be brightened with the reality of your countenance that you know, that you know, oh, and you know, I was thinking about this likewise. And I noticed that there, in some of our Bibles, they have a cross-reference over to the book of, of uh, Numbers, I believe it is. 
over into Numbers chapter 6. You don't need to turn there because I believe that I've got it on the overhead. And I grew up in a church, didn't need the Bible, didn't, didn't take one very much, but at the end of a service, oftentimes, he would say, now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. That's the same idea, this word. In fact, I think I have it right here, don't I? Yeah, there it is. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And Lord, lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And I frankly, growing up, I had no idea that it was even in the Bible. But there is the same idea. But here it's the, here it's the idea of the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Aaron's pray, praying, the priest Aaron, for the people right there in that particular situation. Well, then in verse 2 through verse 9, we have wisdom and the challenge living under the authority of an evil king. You catch that in the context, but let me read the verses and you can see it on your own, okay? I say, keep the commandment of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter for he will do whatever he pleases. I'm not talking about a king here. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal commandment experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight. Though a man's trouble is heavy, Upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with, with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied to my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. So you get the idea. We've got this king, we've got this authority going on, and something is happening here that doesn't seem right. And what he's saying in verse 2 is, wait a minute, you've made a, you've made a pledge, you've made an oath to the king. Now, everyone who came under Solomon's authority had to do just such a thing. And it was typical of a king. You'd swear to allegiance to a king. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David, his father, and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him, all the officials, the mighty men, and also the sons of the king of David pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. Now that's what he's talking about here. But then he says in verse 3, do not be in a hurry to leave him, or maybe even go against him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. And certainly, if we read our Old Testament, there are a whole lot of good kings and there are a whole lot of bad ones, are there not? So his counsel is, well, be careful before you rebel or before you would go against that king. And here's a number of reasons why. From the Proverbs, the king's favor is toward a servant who acts wisely, but his anger is toward him who acts shamefully. 
The fury of a king is like messengers of death, but a wise man will appease it. Terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. He who provokes him to anger forfeits his own life. In fact, you remember, I think it's Uzziah that we looked at last week that was going to go in and offer incense himself, and he wasn't a priest, but he's the king, and they said, you can't do that. And I'm here to tell you, he was saying, what are you telling me? I can't do that. I'm a king. And the priest said, no, you can't. And God said, you can't, because he was a what till he died? A leper till he died. So he's saying here, be careful. Be careful about that. Be careful how you respond to authority in your life. Even in your wisdom, if you see what they're doing is wrong. Now, there may be a time make an appeal. But our task is not to straighten out the whole world. Our task is to win as many people as we can by the grace of God through the proclamation of the gospel. Amen? Okay. So don't be in a hurry. Verse 4, since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. So there is a proper way to respond even to evil authority, even to a bad boss or whatever kind of situation. <laughs> I have, oh boy, I was thinking this week, I know I've told you before, I um, I worked for UPS for, well, I guess it was at least a couple years, wasn't it, Deborah, at the end of uh, seminary years with my friend Robert and uh, Robert Anderson. What a fine pastor. What a, great, what a great brother in the Lord. But we worked for a guy who told us when we began the job at the same time, he told us he didn't like us. He didn't even know us. And he said, I don't like you seminary boys. And I'll be glad to see you back up and get a dent in one of these vehicles. We had, to, we had to wash, fuel, and park between 25 and 30 box cart. Uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Every, every, every night, uh, five nights a week. Wash them, uh, park them, and, and gas them up. And we had five hours to do that. And he, was, he said, I'm, as soon as you get a dent in something, I, I get to write you up. Second time, I get to get you out of here. So he said, man, I, I, I can't wait because, you know, I've I gotten rid of other ones. He was a key mechanic that worked there, and I don't know what his problem was, but he just told us right off, I don't like you. You know what my friend Robert said? He said, well, I don't like you either. No, he didn't say anything like that. You know what he said? He said to me, we're going to work and make that man look good. We're going to make him look good. And the other thing that I remembered about Robert, he said, isn't Kenny going to be a great deacon when he gets saved someday? <laughs> and he was obnoxious. <laughs> what a response to authority. Can you just say amen to that? What a response to bad authority in his life. And to accept the providence of God in the circumstance that he placed us. You see, because whether or not whatever he was doing in Kenny's heart, I know he was doing something in my heart, in my life. Well, look, read on again. Proper time, procedure for every diet through a man's trouble is heavy upon him, though it's not pleasant. I, I, I know somebody here this morning has worked with an insane boss for a number of years, and a lot of times I'm certain he came home, it was not pleasant and with a heavy heart. But God is working. He's always working in our lives and good. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will? Now, this might relate to the future of that king. You don't know. 
No man has authority to restrain the wind, authority over the day of death, and there is no discharge in the time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. So you remember that. All this I have seen and applied uh, my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his own hurt. He wasn't fair. Dad, that teacher isn't fair. That's not the issue. Life isn't fair. The issue is, how are you going to respond to this? If you claim to be a Christian, there's a right way to respond to this. And God is working in this, and he's placed you under that authority. Boy, that might relate to government as well. Whatever else in our our response to all of this. Now, it's good for us to stop at this point and remind ourselves we have clear revelation in God's Word, how to respond to authority that we don't like. So we need to stop for a moment and just remind ourselves, turn over to the book of Romans 13. Some of you are probably thinking about that already. Then we're going to go to 1 Peter just to look at our Bibles and be reminded how to respond to authority. You might be saying this morning, I don't have a problem with authority. I just love having it. <laughs> when our kids were little, we'd go for a walk. When they were little, remember that? Terry would go for a walk. First question they'd ask is, who's in charge while you're gone? Can I be, can I be in authority? <laughs> uh, every, chapter 13, Romans. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. There you go. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear of good behavior, but for evil. Do not want to have, do not want, do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is right, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword. Wow, for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Generally true concerning a governing authority. Although there are, there's evil authority and contrary to that, likewise. Okay, over into First Peter, likewise. First Peter, I believe. Yeah, 1 Peter chapter 2. And when we go to Peter, immediately we're reminded of what it was like in uh, Peter's day later on in Rome and uh, Nero and, wow, persecution for the faith. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and following. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, the lost, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, maybe they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. 
for such is the will of God. What? That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, no matter what kind of circumstance it is. Obviously, we have the Acts principle um, with reference to being required to do something contrary to the Word of God. We want to follow the Word of God. But such right now for us is usually not our problem, correct? It's usually a matter of our heart and our attitude. Okay, so the challenge of living under the authority of an evil king. You may have wisdom as to what's going on, but it will not necessarily, it's limited in this sense, it will not necessarily change your circumstances. But God is working at changing our lives and changing our hearts and seeing us be a testimony to others. Okay, then in verse 10 and through about verse, uh, yes, verse 15, it changes a little bit down toward 14 and 15, but we have what we've seen before, and that is what you appear in the world when you see evil and you don't see immediate retribution for that evil. And then you can see the opposite of that. Well, turn back to chapter 3, because this is what we're going to read again over in chapter 3. Verse 16 and 17. Verse 16. 316. Furthermore, I've seen under the sun that in the place of justice, there's what? There's wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there's wickedness. Whoa, what's going on there? Now look over in chapter 7, where we were last week. Over about verse, uh, yeah, verse 15. I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. So here's the unrighteous guy. He seems to be prospering. That's the Psalm 73 idea. Why does it appear that the wicked prosper? And here's a righteous man, and the Lord takes him home early. In our thinking, what's going on here? Well, let me read that again in verses, um, verses 10 and following. So then... I've seen the wicked buried. Those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they're soon forgotten in the city where they did this. Where they did what? Their wickedness. This is futility. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, and therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life still, Oh man, this is great. Still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. But, but it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. It's like Solomon is preaching to his own heart right there, isn't it? Read on. There is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there is a righteous man to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deed of righteousness. In other words, there's a lot of evil people are getting away with. So I say this too is futility. <laughs> In verse 10, Wiersbe has a good statement about verse 10 and, and the funeral and a man being buried here and what's going on. Yeah, there's Psalm 75. I kept saying 70, 76. 73 concerning that. Well, I'm way ahead of myself there. Wearsby. Solomon reported on the funeral he had attended. 
The deceased was a man who had frequented the temple, the place of the holy, and had received much praise from the people, but he had not lived a godly life. Yet he was given a magnificent funeral with an eloquent eulogy while the truly godly people of the city were ignored and forgotten. As he reflected on the matter, he realized that the deceased man had continued in his sin because he thought he was, what? Getting away with it. God is indeed long-suffering towards sinners and doesn't always judge them immediately, to which we can be thankful for. Amen? However, God's mercy must not be used as an excuse for man's rebellion. And we see the injustice in the world we need to remember. Paul says, I think it's in the book of Galatians, God is not, what, mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he what? He will reap. Yeah. So when we look at the injustice in the world and we, we shake our heads, we need to re- realize, well, wait a minute. It's not over. God has not lost his sovereign control over the world. We still have to respond the right way uh, to authority. But in the end, in the end, um, it'll, be, it'll be taken care of before the judge of all the earth, by all means. But to see this can be hard. I mean, look at the chaos going on in our world right now. And it might cause us to go, hmm, why? But see, if you have wisdom, you know why. We live in a fallen world. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and what? Who can know it? So you know why. It breaks your heart, but you know why. And if you lose, if you lose wisdom in all of this, you go, oh, this doesn't make sense, or the government's not doing the right thing, and you get all bent out of shape, and you forget your theology, and you forget to have wisdom in what's going on, and you can easily forget while we're here. And it's not a matter of getting the right person in the governor's chair or White House or whatever else. Be a good citizen. Use your privileges to vote and so forth and speak out about righteousness. But don't lose it over the fact that you see all of this apparent injustice in the world. And then notice what he does in verse 15. He says, hey, wait a minute. No matter what else is going on, you got a whole lot to be thankful for. Look at verse 15. So I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and drink and be merry, and this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. He's saying this, no matter what life is like under the sun and all the evil in the world, it still remains, life still remains a gift of God to be enjoyed, and we have a whole lot to continue to be thankful for. Can you say amen to that? Hmm. By the way, it's not, he's not giving us the, uh, the godless hedonism here. He doesn't say, eat, drink, be merry, and don't worry about it, tomorrow you may die. He doesn't say that. I think, uh, I think uh, the Bible knowledge commentary it's a good one volume in the old and one in the new. Some of you have that. And I like to just catch it from time to time, see how they give a summary on a verse or whatever. He says, Solomon, again, he's talking about verse 15 there, recommended the enjoyment of life. He said that life's best is to enjoy the fruits of one's labor and to rejoice or be glad. He's referencing the other places Solomon says this. Also, he noted that joy would enliven one's labor. It would accompany him in his work. This is not Epicureanism, hedonism, based on despair, but as a note of submission. Man cannot control or predict 
adversity or prosperity. However, each day's joys should be received as a gift from God's hand and be savored as God permits. All of this is to be while one is living this life on this side of eternity. Oh my, we've got a lot to be thankful right now. We've got a nice building to worship in. We're probably going to have a good lunch today, right? Amen? We've got a roof over our head, and we've got a bed to sleep in, and we've got people in our lives, and we've got the blessings of God in so many ways. Now, yeah, we also are praying for people that are hurting and living with pain and, and experiencing adversity in home or work or life or whatever else. We realize that. We bear one another's burdens, but we always have something to be thankful for, most of all, if you're saved. This is a temporary thing. We're going to spend eternity in God's, God's presence in Jesus. Look at what he's done. And then again, let me just remind you to live cross-eyed. Remember? Live with keeping one eye on the cross, and don't forget what Jesus endured for us, that we could be forgiven of our of our sin. And then he caught, well, I don't know how else to, I don't know how else to state this one in verses 16 or seven, and 17 other, and he just says, hey, here's the vanity of wisdom itself. Be sure you're pursuing it, but it's limited. How? Look at verse 16 and 17. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which had been on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night trying to figure everything out, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun, even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover, and though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. <laughs> say, I know, but no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. you don't. You don't know it all. The person who has to know everything or thinks he knows everything is destined for disappointment in this world. Though many difficult days and sleepless nights, through many, the preacher, Koheleth, Solomon, applied himself diligently to the mysteries of life. He came to the conclusion that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Perhaps we can solve a puzzle here and there, but no man or woman can comprehend the totality of things or explain all that God is doing in all the work going on or things in our lives. He started the way, by the way, chapter 1, verse 13 and following with the same thing. Now, let's, uh, let's close with this. All right, I have two minutes left. Our greatest problem is not what we don't know, but living in light of what we do know. Amen? And you know what we do know? We know God through his word. We know how to be saved and right with him. We know how to be forgiven of our sins. We have been given everything, 1 Peter 1, pertaining to this life and godliness. So God has told us everything that we need to know, how to handle everything that's going on in our lives to his glory. And so when he says to us, whether we eat or whether we drink, do all to the glory of God, by God's grace, by God's grace, we can do that. And we know what's of first importance with God. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, just to remind us with why we're here and what matters most to the God of heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, we know what matters most, and that's how you take care of your pastor. Do you want to say amen there, uh, pastor? Okay. 
we know what matters most. <laughs> that you take your wife out on her anniversary. It was our anniversary yesterday. And because I did take her out, I can say that. That doesn't cover for all the other times I forgot to. <laughs> okay? What matters most, people? What's of first importance? 1 Corinthians 15, I made known to you, brethren, the what? 1 Corinthians 15, 1, I made known to you, brethren, the what? Everybody say it one more time. The what? The good news. The good news. Which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand. By which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word, which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance. What matters most here? The gospel of first importance, that which I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. There is all, all of the good news. So we have answers in the Word of God, even in the midst of things we may not understand or authority we may not like. But God has given us grace to be able to live pleasing to him in the midst of what, what is going on. And we say the darker the night, the brighter the light. And may, may, you, uh, may your face shine with continent, confidence um, in him and his word as you live for him. Amen? Good stuff from that chapter, isn't it? Let's pray. Let's pray. Wisdom is essential, and it is attainable, but it's limited. But God is not. Father, we thank you for your greatness this morning. We thank you for your grace, and goodness, and power, majesty seen in a beautiful day like we've had again today. We thank you that you're in control, not us. We thank you for how you sovereignly bring us into the circumstances of life for witness, for testimony, for opportunity and then for change in conforming us more into the image of your Son. We, we thank you that we can pray for one another, hold one another up, serve one another, share one another's burdens, even admonish one another when we're not responding to things going on correctly because we need, we need one another. But most of all, we need you. And we thank you for making yourself known to us in your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.